I'm Anang Beam. I'm a paint maker from Chiging First Nation on Manitoulin Island, and this is Cut the Craft. All these uh, little, little tiny offcuts, and they used to kind of laugh at me or like tease me nicely that, that I had this little <laughs> pink wagon. And I'd be like walking around in this this giant yard. Imagine like you know twenty foot, thirty foot tall piles of logs and all the giant machines. Wait, with a little pink work. wagon, did you say? Well, it was his wagon. That's why it was pink. <laughs> and I'd just be putting little chips of wood on there. They that um, I guess when they cut it into. When they cut logs down, there's always little tiny slices or pieces and things mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. don't fit the the sizes what things are going to. So I just started carting all of those out of there and putting, shaping them up or sanding them or cutting, changing them a little. And I use that for the palettes. <laughs> You're like, now who's great. laughing? <laughs> I know. I've had some really funny moments with him. <laughs> <laughs> now you're driving through in like a convertible throwing the wood chips in just the back seat of the car you're like, hey, laughing hey. the whole time <laughs> do you um so does it become harder to say no to certain or to say goodbye to certain pieces yeah you, like you're like you're like oh man like i sold this one and you got to say goodbye to that one that you really really like well it, it i am kind of a bit of a wood hoarder yep <laughs> you're in good company yeah yeah and it, it's funny because it is all it is it was all scrap and refuse at one point so it has to be kept pretty organized otherwise it just looks like uh you know a big pile of- like a problem rather than a resource <laughs> yeah i think i've definitely been more on the problem side <laughs> <laughs> but I oh, find man. if you get a whole bunch of totes that are all the same color and you keep things in the same size tote, then it looks uh, purposeful. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'll have to talk so to um, one, of, one of my mentors uh, who I mentioned in our last side project, little episode thingy. Um, that's like a little side series that we do. But he... Mm-hmm. He lives out in uh, northern rural Idaho, and um, maybe I should tell him to use the colored tote bag method because he just uses like the card, the duct tape cardboard box method, which gets very easily confused with other duct oh, tape yeah. cardboard boxes. And then, <laughs> I think when you've had your your treasures mistaken for trash or thrown out enough, it, it forces you to color coordinate. <laughs> <laughs> forces your hand. Yeah. <laughs> I just bought a vehicle so because I'm always toting around uh, things like this, you know, mud or muck or rocks or pieces oh, of wood. Yeah. And, uh, I, and then I had to I had to pick a color of the vehicle, and it was really hard. And I ended up just getting white. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> because it's all colors. <laughs> yeah, it is all colors, and it was really, it, it did get really difficult. The same with painting uh, 
people just assume because I was an artist, I am an artist, and because I work with paint, they think that I'll be really clear and decisive about color, but I I can't. I'm so bad. <laughs> I just uh Aww. I'll I'll just look at look at all the options and oh well this is nice, that's nice, but this is there's too many options and I, I end up <laughs> defaulting to well I'll just paint it yeah, you you choose. <laughs> <laughs> I mean but that's nice though that you're um you know very like equal opportunity for all of the paint color kind of thing. <laughs> like it's not like you have this one bias for one or the other. No, thank God, right? <laughs> Otherwise <laughs> I'd have a tough time. <laughs> it's like we go on your website <laughs> we, we go on your website to buy some paint and it's just like only shades of red. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well I remember my dad talking about that actually. Somebody asked him what his favorite color was and he said, Oh, I'm an artist. I can't afford to have a favorite color. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love yeah. that. Yeah. That's yeah. That's a great color. Yeah, I like that too. Well, welcome to Cut the Craft, everybody. I'm Brian. And I'm Amy. And I'm an artist. Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite. I love when the when it like goes all the way through. Everyone says it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, and yes, we are here with uh, paint maker Anung Bean. Anung, thank you for joining us. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're so happy to have you. Uh, I, I'm just completely fascinated by pigment making. So I can't wait <laughs> to know more about <laughs> your process and your work. And just maybe you could just uh, lead us through what goes into paint making. Okay, well, it, it's been really interesting for me because um, I almost realized late in life that I knew how to make paint, but it was a—I uh, mm. didn't really realize it right away. And I, it was because my parents were both artists, and uh, my dad is an indigenous artist in Canada. Of some note that he was the first indigenous artist to be purchased into the National Gallery of Canada as contemporary art. Mm. And he was really active wow. in the Indigenous art scene all through my life. And when I was really young, like, they, they, they were both full-time artists. They didn't have other jobs. And they homeschooled me. And we traveled all over. And he really incorporated a lot of traditional practice into different aspects of his art practice so I kind of got toted along on these kind of processes and I, I learned them in a, that kind of way so he would mm -hmm. go mm -hmm. hunting for different rocks that made paint and he used found his own paint stones to make paint for his ceramics and different things that he did so I think in my mind I always I always equated that with his with ceramic craft, uh, even though he did use some of those paints in other kinds of paintings. But then he did oil painting, so they did uh, watercolors. So the house I was in had com commercial purchased oil paints and watercolors and acrylics, and I, I watched them work with all of those materials. But I also watched them go out and gather stones and make paint out of them. So that 
that's something I think that when you maybe when you learn things uh, in that really early childhood brain way, I don't know. It just it it's something that you know innately, and then you kind of forget that it's there because you mm. didn't like go out and decide to take this course A that was called this, and yeah. you need to take this so that you can do that. Right? It just kind yeah. of goes yeah. into your your bank and your brain. Like you just take it for granted. Every kid just takes it at like face value. Yeah, and he had never told me. Oh, I'm teaching you how to make paint. It just kind of happened, and then later on, many many years, like he he passed away when I was twenty five, and um, mm-hmm. years later, I I did I was a painter myself. I am a painter, I suppose, and but I did a lot of other things. Like I I, I wanted more stability in my life uh, than than just painting and I at one point I opened an art supply store with my ex-partner and Mm -hmm. it was it was really interesting because it was something that was needed up here there weren't there wasn't physical access to art supplies up on the island where I live but it was really disappointing in a certain respect that everyone who came into this cute little shop uh, they all wanted to know where the paint came from and I had uh, been to a factory in China that was making paint. And they made just amazing, exquisite paint. And I was at their factory. I've used their paint. And I thought, it's amazing how affordable this paint is. Uh, I'll get it tested so to make sure it's safe. And if it's safe, I'll bring it to Canada. And people will be happy to paint with this wonderful paint that's also affordable. So mm-hmm. I did that, and I had it toxicologically tested and brought back, and, and and I tried to sell it, and people were like, oh, it's from China. I was like, well, all of this paint is all from, from different places. But it was mm-hmm. like, because they were looking at me and buying it from a small shop, they, w- I could tell they wanted me to say I made it. Hmm. And I think that was the, the first time where I... I recognized that I wanted to say I made it. Oh, how interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really interesting. And then I started thinking, well, I knew that if I could say that I made this paint, that people would buy more of it or they would be more interested. And then I, I started talking to my partner at the time. I, I want to make paint and I want to figure this out. And uh, he wasn't supportive, and uh, subsequently, oh. not long from there, that our our marriage fell apart, and I was oh. ended up. Uh, it was kind of an abusive relationship in a certain respect, and mm-hmm. and definitely not supportive. And um, mm. I had to basically run away from that place with my two sons, who at that time oh. were maybe three and five they were were really young so yeah at that point we had left and went to my mom's house and I I didn't have I literally had like nothing and Mm -hmm. less than nothing because I had a lot of debt left over from the this failed relationship that I was attached to and Mm -hmm. it was that kind of at that point and 
I got a job at a cultural center, a museum here. And then I said, well, I'm going to make paint. <laughs> and I was, so re- I was so relieved and happy to be, uh, to be in a, a good, safe place and to be, you know, in, just in a, a healthy, safe place with my, my kids. I was really mm-hmm. almost ecstatically happy. And I remember people kind of thinking, you're this is you're a little bit out there because you're really not in, in a good position here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, to me, yeah, to me I felt like a million dollars because I there was all this pressure and uh, stress was lifted off of me. Sure. Even though things weren't weren't certain, I also I had all this uh, stuff I didn't have to deal with anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I said, well, I want to learn how to make paint, and I I just started in the. There's really nowhere you can learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. There, and I looked, I looked all over. I went to art school and I took a couple classes on materials and processes, but. Aside from that, it's totally, there's nothing. There's no signposts on how to do Mm -hmm. it. And I started by getting a few commercial pigments and kind of following what little I could that I found on the internet. And I forget, somewhere in there, I kind of had this like lightning bolt kind of hit me where I went to a, a limestone quarry and... I had used to go there a lot with my dad and look at different pieces of stone. We were always in rock cuts and quarries and things. And I went there and I, I saw this powdered stone and it was almost like it just all kind of dawned on me that I realized I can make paint out of this. I know, I know how to make paint. Yeah. <laughs> That's and so cool. It, yeah. It was, it was really silly. Like, it was funny how it was like a light bulb. And then after that point, then I I started uh, putting my own early education, like ways of identifying earths and testing them and feeling them and mm-hmm. sifting and washing and doing all that stuff I remembered my parents doing. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so I started doing that and incorporating uh, other pigments and other things from the different paint making tradition so it wasn't exactly what my parents did but it also wasn't what other people were doing so it's kind of this hybrid in between spot that's really work working for me that's wow uh, i just think it's so amazing (laughs) how long has it been since you became you know beam paints uh 2017 Oh, wow. Cool. So it's pretty recent. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that long at all. Congrats on the three years. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. So are you, are you, do you feel that you're doing well and it's just sort of like you're, you've sort of stepped into something that, you know, obviously it almost feels like your kind of intuition led you to that place, you know, do, does it, yeah. is that how it feels? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And I feel really, uh, really blessed and really, really guided. Mm-hmm. But also, I'm so, uh, sometimes I'm, I, I wouldn't say naive, but like, I just can't see really obvious things sometimes. 
<laughs> so I'm glad that everything kind of clicked together for me. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like it was a big, it wasn't a big leap, but I'm glad I managed to click things together and get something going here. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, it feels really, it feels really good. I mean, like what was really interesting to me is that the this place where I live right now is also where I grew up, hmm. but technology and the internet and the times have changed it so much that it's a totally different world to live here now than the way it was say when Mm. I graduated high school say I could kind of interact with people and uh, have a business and have you know creative relationships and dialogues with people I never could have done that without having to move to a city when I when I started making paint when I started it as a, as a business, mm-hmm. it really is so different now compared to when I started because I kept kind of reacting to uh, what I showed people. And then, you know, I started out making oil paint because that's what I paint in myself. Mm-hmm. And it really wasn't that popular. Huh. Are you making oil paints or a watercolor or? Watercolor. Yep. I'm making watercolor. And, um, I think watercolor is, it's really interesting. Like it's uh, indigenous painters by and large are, are not really have not historically been painting in watercolor. Okay. If that's it. Mm -hmm. And so it's an interesting thing to say that uh, different mediums throughout time and space are kind of attributed to different genders and classes and you know Mm -hmm. groups of people Mm -hmm. and watercolor in itself is a really it's a really english european Mm -hmm. it's thought of that way Mm -hmm. and that's partially because windsor and newton they became the first uh, manufacturers of of color Mm -hmm. in a commercial way and before that all artists had to make their own paint yeah and yeah, and there used to be it's it's really fascinating history. Like there used to be these people called color men and color men would travel around in Europe and in in North America too and they would have certain colors for sale and artists or house painters or people who needed pigments would go see the color men when they came to town and pick out what they buy but you what you were going to paint with was really limited by what you could afford and Mm -hmm. what the color man had so a lot of really famous artists from the old times like van gogh or anybody you they have a certain palette that Mm -hmm. we associate with them Mm -hmm. almost like that they chose that purposefully and they they did don't get me wrong but they also were really limited by what their particular color man was bringing around and selling. Because oh, nobody, <laughs> it's only very recently that we've had the access to the full pantheon of all the colors. God, it makes you just wonder like what some of those paintings that are all really famous to us are like, look like, you know, people's sort of, as you were saying, like signature yeah. color schemes and things like that. Mm-hmm. What, what they might've made had they had access to like the full range of colors or even just a different set of colors or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're like kind of blowing my mind right now. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. When you think about like the Picasso and his blue period 
and that was really when he wasn't very well off I don't think I'm not a, a big Picasso historian but as as an artist who's been through moments in her life I I imagine myself he probably had a lot of that color at that time which is how appropriate that it was blue yeah <laughs> that was the more affordable color at the moment like those those things really come into play what if that was you know like a cheaper color at the time or where he was to buy and then at the same time, like that's what led to him feeling sad or expressing sadness in terms of blue. And then we have the expression, <laughs> like, I feel so blue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is really interesting to, to see all these histories of color. And um, a, another thing that kind of comes up with this is that for most of most of history, there's been a lot of colors that are really hard to get. They're, they're just hard to mm. find in nature. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. for a lot of, up until really recently, the sources of those colors have been really toxic. But people use mm-hmm. them anyway. Like, that's how badly people want color. Mm-hmm. And uh, so people would... So would this be like mercury-based, like, reds and stuff like that, for example? Like um, cadmium, that's a, a heavy metal. Cadmium yeah. is in reds. Yeah. Uh Lead is in white and yellow. Mm-hmm. Uh, cobalt is in blue. Those are all heavy metals. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, th- those kinds of things. There's even there's even a town near up here uh, called Cobalt where they used to mine a lot of that. And uh, wow! So this is another thing that's been interesting. I think because I'm my background, uh, I'm I'm First Nations. I'm Ojibwe, and because mm-hmm. of that. When I went into paint making, there's a, a huge natural pigment kind of movement right now that I realized there's a lot of pigment people out in the, oh, wow. in the world. And they're really focused on like colors of the earth and everything natural. And then there's a lot of people who want natural pigments. And that's interesting, but. I've also heard of there's people who are kind of making themselves sick by accident in this because oh. I think that currently there's the there's a real thought of everything natural is better and safer. It's it's safer than synthetics. Mm-hmm. And I'd venture to say mm-hmm. that's probably true in a lot of arenas, but not in pigments. In pigments we have been searching as humanity for centuries to find safe safe colors to develop synthetics and mm. there's really interesting like things that have come up like one of the first synthetic colors was prussian blue and prussian blue mm. itself is uh used as a treatment in hospitals for heavy metal poisoning. Whoa, so it's like the antidote. Yeah, isn't that amazing? It, it was like, That's incredible. Yeah, I, I just think it's so, it's so amazing that it's not only, it itself is the cure, but it's also the cure. <laughs> <laughs> like it's the color cure and like the health cure. Yeah. <laughs> if you were to go to a hospital with the, the lead poisoning, you'd be given a treatment of Prussian blue. So they just paint it all over you? <laughs> I, I think you, you, you literally you ingest it. You eat it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I was just, 
I was just picturing like people being painted blue because they got into lead paint. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> Which sounds like way more fun to me. <laughs> you mentioned that there are a lot of like pigment people out there. And is there, since you've in the last, you know, several years since you've made it like your business, mm-hmm. um, what's, what's the community like? It's really strong. <laughs> Is it cool? Do you have like little conferences or anything or how does it, how do y'all communicate with each other? I think every, I think there's just a lot of like-minded people um, on Instagram, really. That's where I've kind of found most of these people and I've met different people through, through kind of through that. Like I met um, Jason Logan is someone who really pops to mind. Wait, is that the make ink guy? Yeah. Yeah. That's him. I love him. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's really oh, cool! And uh, he came up to meet us here before he wrote the book, and if actually he thanked us in his acknowledgement papers, which was very sweet oh, of him. Wow. So I uh, I came across that book last summer, and I was just in a bookstore, and I came across it, and I was like, "Oh wow, this looks awesome!" So I bought it. Um, I'll look you up in the acknowledgments. <laughs> yeah, we met through through Instagram, and he came up to visit. And uh, I think uh, someone I worked with they they made lye, and we looked at different rocks. And mostly, we kind of talked about the business that we're in and our different approaches to it. And mm-hmm. that was really interesting to me because so what he does in making ink and looking at wild pigments, he distills color out of anything around him, which is absolutely amazing. And a lot of people think we, we have, we have similar businesses, but we have very different, different uh, outlooks because when he makes an ink, he's making a living thing. And to him, some of the change of the ink is uh, part of the joy of it. So mm-hmm. it's more about the story of where it's coming from and what it's doing and the interactions it makes. And then mm-hmm. for me, I'm, I'm really making a, I'm making a paint that is a stable tool for artists. And mm-hmm. probably because I have had uh, a lot of ups and downs in my life, stability and reliability is key for me. And I remember when he explained one of his inks, oh, no, it's not color fast, like it'll fade. And I think I audibly gasped, like, at, at the <laughs> <laughs> I kind of went, oh, my God. I, and, <laughs> and he explained his take. That's hilarious. It, right? But that was like a major mm-hmm. thing that, that differentiates us is that that, to me, I can't, my, my paints are like solid, stalwart, reliable. They, they will not fade. Mm -hmm. And I, I, Mm -hmm. I go out of my way to, uh, firstly, I, I, I buy and source pigments that are non-toxic. But then on top of that, I take everything that I gather myself and that I choose to buy even from a reputable pigment source, I take it and send it and get it third-party tested twice to make sure wow. that it's wow. safe. 
yeah, so Cambridge Materials Testing here in Canada, they test all of the the stone that I gather uh, to make sure that it's clean and, and safe and has no heavy metals or lead or any kind of contamination. And wow. all of the pigments I buy from other people, I get them tested there too. And then oh, it all goes to Duke University and they test it. And we've just received our ACMI certification that we are certified to ASTM D4236. That, that's the <laughs> international standard for paint in, in the world. Wow. And, and we meet and exceed that standard for toxicity, non -toc being non-toxic. So, I mean, you're, say you're saying that casually, but I feel like that's like a major accomplishment within the paint making community right is that is that a pain to accomplish yeah yeah it's a pain it's it's a pain because <laughs> there's a, you know there's a lot of there's a lot of paperwork it's very tedious and it's expensive and a lot of people it's also not necessary that's what's funny mm. that mm. in the paint and ink making world it's not really necessary to go to these extremes but you know when i'm i'm making paint part of why i started doing it also is that i wanted to keep painting when i was pregnant with my second son mm. and i didn't want to you know i was being very careful about what i ate and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff and then i realized oh well i have to be careful about what i paint otherwise i just have to not paint for a better part of a year wow, which sounds yeah. terrible yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it it has been really really something and also, you know, sharing sh having Instagram kind of means that I interact so personally with so many people who use our paints. Mm -hmm. It's not like I think in the old older times you would have made a product and maybe not really interacted that much with your customer client base. Mm -hmm. But yeah. like I see their little kids painting and I yeah. see pictures of everybody with the paints on their table or paints on their hands you know yeah and it, it was that that super important to me to make sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that everything was really really safe for people yeah. and that's a I, I get that question a lot of well is that are you making that with a synthetic pigment and yeah I do use synthetic pigments when I I want to have, I won't sacrifice for color. Like I want all of those bright colors, mm -hmm. but I won't use a natural material that has heavy metals. And I think that's the big, that's the big thing that people don't really understand about that we, we mentioned before yeah. that just because it's natural might make it actually very dangerous. Yeah. So, so I have a question about that. Um, how do you, pick a good rock like how do you know oh, it's, it's what's really, what's okay and what's not okay well that's really tough because strictly speaking without sending it to a laboratory you don't know um mm -hmm. i think that there's a there's a gentleman from down south who came up to visit me and he was part of this natural pigment uh groups and really mm -hmm. really into making his own paint and just through the course of talking about things, we talked about 
I found out that he had actually poisoned himself and had heavy heavy metal poisoning and <gasps> had to oh recover gosh. from it. And it came wow. from him finding, uh, you know, finding rocks and in a spot where they were contaminated with heavy metals and then grinding them up and, you know, being around the dust of them. And, and that's what happened. Yeah. So, you know, I don't want to discourage wow. people from making their own paint, but I think that, that, yeah. uh, you, I think that it's just understanding that paint is made out of rocks. It's made out of the na- natural mm-hmm. world. And mm-hmm. a lot of people in botany as well, you know, will think, oh, plants, nature, but there's a lot of plants uh, and mushrooms and different things that, that are incredibly toxic. So, so it needs to mm-hmm. be approached in a, in a safe way. And I, mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of resources for people like if you go into a, if you go into an area like uh just talking to people from that area because they'll know if like in the town of cobalt, they know mm-hmm. where their cobalt is and yeah. what areas have that. So if I was gathering rocks around cobalt, I would talk to those people first. That's the whole problem about talking about these things is that you don't want to be a big downer about it. Right. And that's oh, no. maybe, maybe it's also because I'm a, I'm a mom of two like wild boys. I'm always like saying, okay, be careful. Right. Okay. Watch out. Right. right. right? <laughs> well, I think it's important like that. I would have never, ever thought about that. Never. I mean, I mean, it, it, yeah, it, it's important because I, I personally have been very interested in making pigments because it feels good it like it feels like ooh, that would be that would fit something about you know what i'm doing yeah because i want a connection yeah well (laughs) i'm kind of a rock person but like i have these rocks (laughs) and i was like oh wow they're they're kind of red and i know that they have probably some sort of oxide like iron Mm -hmm. in them and i was like i can't wait to talk to this paint maker because what you know yeah. maybe i could paint with them maybe i could paint paint oh totally um totally. some bowl or spoon or something but i don't know if it's safe or not or like what actually like what mineral is making them red so i think that you know in 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 those instances just workplace safety would really carry anyone who wants to try it out like Mm. I think for me, I have to go to these kind of extremes of safety because I'm a lifelong person in in paint. And anything when, mm-hmm. when you're talking mm-hmm. about these things, you're talking about long-term exposures and the fact mm-hmm. that heavy metals will build in your system. And that's what causes a problem. Mm-hmm. Like we all pass by yeah. and encounter them because they're a natural part of our our world that we're living in but you don't want to put yourself in a spot where you're repeatedly encountering uh, skin on a skin and uh, dust way yeah so I think that that any kind of uh, just having a good dust mask having gloves Uh just those two things Uh right there would do anybody in good stead working with any kind of pigment because Mm -hmm. even at the very least you you'll find that 
pigments are incredibly staining and you you want to wear gloves anyway <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> yeah. Touche. Um, so how, I mean, how would you say I have a rock Yeah. and I want to make it into some paint? What do I do? Okay. Well, this is really <laughs> fun. Amy's asking for a friend. Yeah. I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to think about what kind of paint you want to make and it comes down to okay. what, what paint is made out of. So paint will have a pigment and then it'll have a, mm-hmm. what's called a vehicle. And the vehicle is a, whatever, it, it becomes the body of the paint and it's responsible for how the paint mm-hmm. moves and how you clean it up and how it disperses. So a lot of the the two parts of the personality of paint are the pigment and the vehicle. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. oil paint, you have all different kinds of choices for your vehicle. It could be traditional oil paint is linseed oil, but then some people mm-hmm. use uh, poppy seed oil, walnut oil. Uh, mm-hmm. There's all kinds of different oils. So it, in that instance, you're looking for a siccative oil and that means an oil that is going to dry and in its drying it creates a polymer chain and that becomes the skin the paint the body of the paint so mm-hmm. other oils that aren't siccative are like olive oil if you put olive oil out on a table yeah. it's not going to dry and make a paint film so it's not good for making paint if you use yeah. like sunflower oil, maybe mm. actually, I'm not sure about that one, but there's some that do and some that don't. So you want to do that, that bit mm. of research. Um, I like making paint out of hemp oil because it's a secretive oil and it, it grows oh. in Canada. And I, I really find it makes great paint. Oh. Uh, so that's the oil family. Then if you want to make watercolor, you need to make a binder and the binder for watercolor is most commonly gum arabic and that's like a a hard rosin from a a tree it comes from senegal mostly Hmm. yeah so this is where it gets interesting because you really can't find there there aren't really any useful recipes for this on the on the internet it comes down to it's funny because I had I, I went down this route asking people and people other paint makers would say, Oh well, you just get really vague, vague, shady answers. Nobody really wants to <laughs> And I at first I thought that's just because, oh well, no, you know, it's all trade secrets, no one wants to tell. But then mm-hmm. I heard somebody tell me, Oh well, they all have such different personalities. And I kind of wrote it off like, yeah, okay, I get it. You know, blue and yellow, they're, they're really different. But what I, <laughs> what I didn't realize is that they were very strongly speaking the truth about the pigments, that they physically have different personalities, that when mm. you take these different pigments and you mix them into your binder, they behave in completely different ways 
like all all of them and some of them like to for example some of them will uh, repel water like they don't want to they're hydrophobic they don't want to mix into anything wet and then Mm. other ones they're hydrophilic and they want to soak in water really easily and other ones get really uh, stringy or almost bar-like. They all have, some of them, you mix it up dry, and then when you mull it down, it comes out, out thinner. Some of them, there, there's no way to standardize it. So you really can't say, this needs you know, two tablespoons of that, and there you go, it's paint. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. Well, and I would imagine too that it would maybe even varies based off of like where you're sourcing that particular pigment, right? Like, yeah. does it sometimes, you know, what if it's especially if it's like a natural one that they probably vary a decent amount. So it's a lot of like touch and go for each specific batch. Yeah, definitely. Um, I I have a a limestone white that I get on the west end of the island here, and if I get it. Uh, past the town of Gorbet, it has like a cream color to it. But if I get, it's the same layer of rock uh, about a half an hour further, it's like a pure, super white. And even inside quarries, different different levels of, of rock will have like a different, the, the lower levels will be more blue color and up higher will be more cream color. There's, there, there are a lot of variations, which is, is really fun. Yeah, that's yeah. just so fascinating. So, like, with if it were an oil paint, is it? Mm-hmm. It's just oil and pigment, or is there like another thing that you add to it to keep it from, um, like, coming off if you paint it onto something? N- no, that's where the choice of the binder. The binder. Okay. There's different things you would call it. A vehicle and a binder are okay. Are kind of for me, it's the same thing. But then other other paint makers, like commercial paint, has a huge amount of stuff in the middle. Hmm. Um, that's I think that's partially why people are starting to look at handmade paint more. Yeah, yeah. Because it it has typically a much higher concentration of pigment. Okay. But yeah. Commercial paint. They have uh, re-wetting agents. They have anti-foaming agents. They have drying agents. Mm -hmm. So you can get a lot of solvents, really. I I think that's part of why people are developing sensitivities to art supplies or or oil painting because of solvents in in their paint. Mm -hmm. But if you were just making your own, you would just pick a binder and a pigment. And then you would get to know your own kind of ratios because mm-hmm. it really is quite personal as well. What kind of paint you like. Yeah. I love this interview. Not ghoul, but gould. Variant of gold and street jive for the stoner guy your girlfriend told you not to worry about. Not fireworks, but firework, as in working with fire. Not a coffin, but a coffer of non-interchangeable screws with dividers combined to make a whole lockbox full of locks. 
Consider filing, finishing, fitting holes. Contemplate perceived precision. Conjure proto-Germanic word pronunciations and the impossibility of pronouncing them without an expert. Think of energy and clocks striking time. Chasing hammers do not chase hammers, but with hot forms of metal, hammers help forge themselves. Refining the past by working out errors. A coat of arms and an armoire. Anglo-Saxon soldiers in charge of smiting repairs of their own armor. 975 AD, Eckerd, an Englishman who wrought iron for a living, is the oldest recorded person donning this five-letter last name representing his job and going on to represent an alias adopted for protective anonymity by English gypsies, a term First Nations peoples would adorn when dealing with colonists and also connecting many African Americans to slavery and emancipation, an intentional Ellis Island immigrant espousal or possibly even a designation from civil servants hopeful for the newcomers to fit in. A German Anglicization to avoid discrimination during world wars. The complications of history like a ghost in your reflection. The more this particular word spread wide, the more worn by the masses, the more generic it became, masking who amassed it, while those who bore its reference point by doing what defined it waned due to industrial manufacturing. What does all this have in common? Our next guest, Seth Gould, plus the etymology of the most common surname in English, and really the world across languages, Smith, and its relationship to metalsmithing, a gig in which Seth Gould sets a golden standard. He's our locksmith. Smithing is his key. But for each locksmith, lock and key, there's somebody opening doors with crowbars, a pick lock with a lock pick. Another John Doe stand-in as long-standing as Smith, but on a first-name basis, and that's me. Jimmy with a Jimmy, giving you a sneak peek. But now, back to Brian, Amy, and Anung, captivating your mind with the nuances of craft while each thought you have unlocks the next. And hey, thanks for letting me in your brain, too. I didn't have to Jimmy a thing. So tell us about hematite or hematite. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, that was the that's really the first pigment that I remember okay. that um, I learned about with my dad. And he used to use hematite and that's what he called it. Like technically, I don't really know geologically if that's hematite. Oh, okay. But there, there's two kinds of hematite, I think. There's one that is like a it's a kind of iron oxide. Okay. And then there's another one that's like a shiny black stone. Okay. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Not the shiny black stone, but more the iron oxide mm -hmm. kind of rock. Mm -hmm. It's like a magnetite or iron. So w where we live on Manitoulin, Manitoulin Island is the top of the Niagara Escarpment. So the, the limestone cliff that makes Niagara Falls it continues going north, and it t turns into the Bruce Peninsula. And then Manitoulin Island is the very top of that limestone outcropping. 
And just north of us in the in the in Lake Huron, we have the Canadian Shield. So we get a, a lot of universities who send uh, busloads of uh, geology students up here because in this tiny little area of Canada, you can see almost all the different geological uh, eras and conditions all in really close to one another. Dang, like a natural history museum just built in. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. And every summer I see truckloads of geology students uh, on the just on the side of the on the side of the highway checking out the rock cuts. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, that's amazing. That's what my dad used to do. So we would stop at these rock cuts and look at different places in La Cloche Mountains. That's where uh, he would find hematites or he had quite a few different stones, like uh, ochres, uh, yellow ochres, reddish ochres. He had a really great black stone that I, I don't know what it is geologically, but it makes a great black paint. Wow. Um, and uh, a red hematite that he would find there. So I think I was probably three, and I remember him finding that. He found one that was like a... You know, when you see a, a like a dark red line, it's like rust coming out of the iron in the rock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he, he rubbed that on my hand. And then he showed me the hematite he'd found nearby. And he rubbed that on my hand. And he showed me that the iron will just wash off with water. But the hematite, it really stained and it stayed on my hand. <laughs> and you couldn't just wash it away with water. And he said, and that's, that's, that's pigment, that's hematite. Mm-hmm. Everything else just washes away. Huh. And it was those kinds of things when I got into paint making that I kind of built this hybrid between... Uh, there was a big push, and there still is actually a big push for me to be... a. Uh, entirely natural 100% natural paint maker Hmm. and I I have to constantly kind of uh, re-explain that that I don't find all of these colors just underneath my house (laughs) (laughs) there's too many there's no way all of these colors in one one region like (laughs) globally historically there's been a massive pigment trade and it's there's an economy of pigment that has Mm -hmm. been developed over centuries It, it used to be like egypt and rome and all of these different countries finding different sources of pigments and trading them with each other like Mm -hmm. it's it's been a well-established thing Mm-hmm. So myself as an indigenous person, I'm coming into it. I I belong to the current time, and I enjoy all of the things of the modern era, mm-hmm. <laughs> <What>? including no total <laughs> madness. <laughs> yeah, including all the all the colors, right? Like, sorry, Amy, I'm stealing one of the questions. Amy's normally oh, one sorry. of her askers. Um, it's okay. Uh, or, or, sorry, not one of our question askers. There's only I'm two one. of us. <laughs> um, but uh, you kind of have mentioned this a couple times that there's this like this push, you know, for you to have made everything yourself. Um, and 
is that do you feel like in some ways it's some like there's like this pressure to sort of like be a myth to like to live up to the expectation that people are sort of putting on you yeah i i think that they i don't think that it's done in any in any uh hurtful way but i i do imagine that i do see that people really sometimes they'll talk about uh they'll repost something of mine and they'll say and look at this indigenous paint maker she gathers all these mm. all these pigments out of uh, by hand from plants and mm-hmm. and i kind of uh I, I try not to go I don't go around like correcting everybody. Sure. Uh-huh. Because that that would even be more awkward. <laughs> I just kind of I just kind of figure if people look at look at our page and, and look at my website, I'm really clear that uh, I gather every single color I make has some stone that I gather in, in my recipe. Mm-hmm. So there's some some stone from Manitoulin in all of the colors because it's part of how I make paint. Mm-hmm. But when I want to make like a really really vivid ultramarine, I I use that color and I also use pigments from all over. Like there's an amazing violet earth color and it comes from Armenia, mm-hmm. and I really really like that color. Um, my dad used to gather ochre out in BC. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of beautiful colors all over the world. Yeah. I like yeah. that. It's nice. <laughs> That's definitely the quote <laughs> of the day. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that, I mean, that makes total sense. I think just from, you know, I really appreciate that. It's like, you're very practical because you're also like an artist who understands the need to have access to like the full range of colors. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think that um, it's been interesting to make paint and also kind of reflect uh, my own values. And then maybe some of those are my personal values. Maybe some of them come to me in a cultural sense. But mm-hmm. I, I enjoy using natural materials as much as possible. And I think the fact that we're a, a plastic-free company really mm-hmm. grew out of that, wanting to I, – I wanted to – it, it's it, it was amazing to me that there were no art supplies that really expressed in an artistic way what they were capable of. It, like hmm. the art always seems really art that artists make is always so heartfelt and deep and coming out of them. Mm-hmm. And then you go look at the art supplies that you can get, and it's all like these white plastic tubs. <laughs> oh yeah. It's really, <laughs> Yeah, that's what kind of got me. And then I started looking back at like older, older art supplies, like the way that people did things before plastic, before the 50s. Uh-huh. And yeah. things were just kind of made with a bit more consideration back then. There was a lot more uh, ceramic ceramic pans and little tubes and cute little boxes and Mm -hmm. everything was a lot more kind of freeform but then back then a lot of people made their own paint as well so yeah yeah i remember there was a a movie i saw a french movie i think it was called seraphine um except obviously pronounced with like a nice french accent and um (laughs) 
But that was the part I, I remember watching it and being so captivated uh, because the artist, she went out into the woods. She was an oil painter and she would go out and like collect all these, all the materials herself. And I remember being so like romanced by that notion. Yeah, it, it's, it is. I think if you are a painter, you definitely owe it to yourself to make paint once or twice cool. just yeah. for the, the joy of it. Yeah. And, I think you would ask that before what was a an easy or how would I suggest that maybe mm-hmm. I think trying out uh, charcoal is really mm-hmm. that's really fun it makes a really interesting like if you're making charcoal that's something you can be pretty confident of what it is you've burnt a piece of wood and you have a piece of charcoal yeah and right. the the charcoal is really easy to grind down to a, a to a smooth consistency, mm-hmm. and then you can have charcoal watercolor, or you can do charcoal oil paint. Yeah, it's uh, it's really fun. I make a charcoal ink that I I really like. Wow. Well, oh, I was gonna say too. I love um, the idea of how you instead of I think so. Are those nasty little plastic? palette thingies those are called half pans or something right yeah they are and a lot of people they're they're like the standard in the industry for for watercolor and And i hate to dig on you know because there's so many paint makers i really know and admire who use them still it just it wasn't for me and actually I'll throw myself under the bus a little bit here because <laughs> when I was trying to learn how to make paint I couldn't get it to dry right like I just couldn't work with these little pans and mm-hmm. I got them I bought them and I tried putting paint in them and I just had the most miserable time doing it I totally hated it oh. <laughs> yeah I did oh. and and I couldn't get it to I think if you're going to make paint with those things, you have to make a recipe that behaves in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you can't put paint. It won't dry properly in those little cups. Huh. So right. that's kind of another reason why our paint is different because the it's just a, it's a different recipe. Wow. Okay. I just, I love the little stones. I think those are like the, I love the, idea of them as being like i mean sort of hearkening to some of their um some of the colors like natural ingredients and stuff like it's a stone like from the earth kind of thing but then Mm -hmm. also just this tiny little object like little packets of color they're they're so cute looking (laughs) and and i don't mean cute to like demean that or you know take away any of its like sophistication because i know you make some top-notch product but they are quite adorable (laughs) objects <laughs> <laughs> thank you I, I think they're really sweet too and they smell great you know yeah. Ooh, I, I think, I it's, think about <laughs> oh yeah they smell wonderful that's part of why right off the bat we realized our kind of tagline was be safe don't eat the paint <laughs> <laughs> which i like it because that it just implies that it's like an immediate temptation yeah it it is really you know i had a a friend of mine texted me a picture that they thought i would think it was funny but it kind of horrified me that (laughs) they texted uh, this picture of a pink paint stone and they had it unwrapped on a table 
and there's a candy store in this next town that sells bonbons. <laughs> like they're like little candy rolled in powdered sugar. Mm-hmm. And they had them right next to each other on a table, and they were totally indistinguishable. Oh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so a black currant, black currant bonbon, or beach rose paint. <laughs> <laughs> we sort of talked a little bit about what attracted you to paint making, but what keeps you interested in in the the world of paint? Oh, um, well, definitely all the colors. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talked before about how there are different personalities. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's really exciting to me, figuring out different ways. I, I have, uh, oh, I have so many, like, there's so many different things you can do in making paint. I have a big, almost a wait list of ideas and things that I'm working on. Hmm. Uh I, I really love innovating in uh, paint vehicles and thinking about different ways to deliver paint. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed kind of tackling the plastic-free problem. I'm having a lot of fun with that. And mm-hmm. I have two two kinds of paint that I'm kind of inventing right now, which is Ooh. really fun. And one of them is a plastic-free screen printing ink for T-shirts. What? That's awesome! And yeah, yeah, it's been so super fun, and I've, I've. We should partner for our shirts. Yeah, I did oh the. Yeah, for sure. I did the shirts. I did shirts about a year ago, and I've been testing them like in the washing machine, and yeah, and I I now know that yes, this is a, a viable alternative to. I think the the ink for screen printing is called maybe it's called plastisol or something, but it was a huge thing for me. Uh, I had really wanted to make t-shirts, but I didn't want to use t-shirt printing ink because it is plastic, and then when you wash it, you end up having those microplastics and all that. Mm-hmm. And I tried a lot of different things, like an indigo dye ink, and that worked, but it didn't have that great physical quality of t-shirt ink like you mm-hmm. know where you feel it on the shirt mm-hmm. and yeah. it's a it's a surface there so i i've made one and it's a hemp-based ink for, wow. for t-shirt printing and it, it just works awesome and i wow. love the fact that you know it's a it's identical you wouldn't be able to tell the difference that's what's i i really dislike when somebody says oh when some something comes out like here's an alternative and you won't you can use this instead and then it's really like wet toast you know but this is <laughs> <laughs> you, you wouldn't know the difference yeah <laughs> so that's been fun and then my second paint i'm working on is a a plant-based acrylic paint and i'm really pumped about that i think that's going to be amazing and I'm looking forward to 2021 just to to keep working on those these other kinds of paints. Wow. And yeah. That is I oh, uh do you have do you have like a color that you still haven't quite been able to capture like a certain, you know, tone of green or something like that that's like just around the bend that you haven't hit yet? <laughs> Yeah, it's funny that you'd mention that because I'd say it's green. 
for sure. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's like it. a lot of greens here. They're really hard to capture. Uh, greens and browns, really. Like, mm. I think when I jumped into making paint, I, I really wanted to get like a really here's an ultramarine blue that's just like knock your socks off really mm -hmm. great blue mm -hmm. and uh also I, before i started really devoting all my time to this i i remember talking with a, a painter friend and he was talking about some of his favorite paint makers uh gara there's a, a company in new york that makes paint Mm -hmm. and just how pigmented they were and that's kind of like the thing everybody's after in in paint 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 using i guess you're looking for a really pigmented strong color and mm -hmm. that's that's kind of been my big mission is figuring out how can i how can I make this as as a substance that has to hold its own and hold together and also has to dry in a certain way, has to, you know, there's, there's a lot of have tos. And I think it took a few years to, to hit all of those points and still make a paint that had that level of pigment in it. Dang, <laughs> this is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also such a, it's such a different craft from what we normally uh, cover in a sense, yeah, because it yeah. is like, um, it's something you, I mean, we've interviewed woodworkers who are creating like objects that are their like their product. Their end result is like a physical, tangible thing that you're mm -hmm. yeah. Like gonna, an object. it'll stay in that form. Yeah, like an object. Mm -hmm. Whereas you're you, it's like providing like a tool for people yeah. to use to then be able to express themselves. You know, it's like I'm yeah, to, yeah. You're a tool maker. It's not disposable. Yeah. It's not disposable, but it's like usable i guess well, like you yeah. can use it up <laughs> yeah i'm making something that's what's been so interesting for me is that i i feel like i'm doing something for a community that really hasn't been catered to mm -hmm. uh probably that i don't feel like a lot of the manufacturers of paint were artists mm, or maybe right. they didn't out that way like mm -hmm. I think because it is such a, a, a commercial industrial thing I, I have a general fascination with industry and heavy machinery and just work <laughs> in general I, I really I just love it and um, I, it, I think that it's been really really fun to talk to artists like I've had the I've had the chance to communicate and talk to artists that I adore, like really love in a super fangirl kind of way, <laughs> and kind of tell them, well, what kind of color do you, what kind of paint do you want? Because I'll yeah. I'll invent some paint for you. Wow! And yeah, I've had the yeah. That's been remarkably fun to send painters paint and then see what they do with it. It's yeah. really exciting. I, I made it. a paint for uh, Kim Dorland, and that, he's a painter I really admire in Canada. Wow. And I uh, sent paint to all all, ki all kinds of people, and that, that's that's something I want to keep doing. I like seeing yeah. what people do with it. It's yeah. really really thrilling. It's so cool. <laughs> it's it's just so, so funny cool. that you're 
Yeah, it's so funny you're talking about like, oh, and this like I'm working with these artists in like a major fangirl way to see like what I can do to like, you know, meet their needs or whatever. And in my head, I'm like, oh, I need to make a book for a nun so that she can like write her recipes in it and then see what she needs <laughs> in terms of it. <laughs> Brian, I've been thinking the same thing. I'm like, I need to make something for her. Just send it to her. (laughs) Oh, that that has been neat, though, to to get to meet this whole community of makers. Like, I I really think in the past, well, I don't know how many years, but I don't feel like there was a community like this that was so uh, interactable when (laughs) I was in art. You know, yeah, when I went yeah. to, I went to, I went to a lot of art schools too. I technically mm-hmm. never graduated, but I went to like five art look schools. Look at you now. In- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. The school that I didn't graduate from, they called me back to give a talk there last year. No and way! It was, That's awesome. Yeah, it was really surreal. Wow, that's so funny. I talked about paint making and all this kind of stuff there. And I had to kind of add in. And yes, I, I went here and I I failed painting from memory and desire here <laughs> and never graduated. <laughs> and did you like dust your shoulders off? <laughs> You're like... <laughs> Not too shabby. <laughs> I feel like my lesson for you all is to get out of here and quit paying tuition to just start doing what you want to do. <laughs> right. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, man. it was a little awkward. But I saved the day. I forget how, what I said afterwards, but oh, it kept going, though. Well, that's good. That's good. Um, so do you, do you think that paint making satisfies something that you you wouldn't get from a different career at all? like. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I feel like I have more of the the life that I had when I was a kid. Mm. Oh, Ooh, and that. now I, I get to do that in a really sustained way that pays mm. my bills. And yeah. I get to raise my boys in the same way that I was raised. So now mm. I know they know things even though they don't know it's in there. They, mm-hmm. They've been those places with me. They've seen those kinds of things and they know how to handle tools and do things. Yeah. So they've learned in a, in an unlearning kind of way. Yeah. And I'm really happy about that to be yeah. able to do that with them. That's really yeah. good. I think it just seems like something that most I don't know, children and families would really benefit from is just kind of learning in a, in a, almost like a yeah. more of a pa- passive way. Like, and it, I don't mean that with like any sort of negative connotation, but just like, oh no, no you I, just, I that's what you agree. do. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. I feel that's exactly it to, to learn in this. Uh, it's almost more like a apprenticing in mm-hmm. an apprentice mm-hmm. way. Yeah, you you travel along with, and you carry a shovel, and you yeah. you you know do all the all the stuff around something, and you keep doing all the little tasks around something, and then then you realize one day you know how to do all of it. Yeah, and that's it's a really it's a really good feeling. Also, to, to be up here where 
you know, I, I worked in, uh, in art, art administration for a few years where, and that was another thing like where I, I really enjoyed that to be able to work in museums and galleries and curate art shows and help art shows tour and, and work with artists in that way. Mm-hmm. But I found that that was really hard because art institutions are chronically underfunded mm-hmm. and you can't give, you can't give all the artists art shows and you can't mm-hmm. buy all of the paintings for mm-hmm. your museum. And mm-hmm. so you're constantly feeling like you wish you could do more. Mm-hmm. And now in this, in this respect, I feel like I can, I'm, I'm satisfied by the level of help that I, I put out. Like I have a lot of paint that I can't sell too, right? Like just through manufacturing it, you end up mm-hmm. with seconds or mm-hmm. paints that there's nothing wrong with it, but it doesn't look like the picture in my shop online. So I can, I'm oh, not yeah. going to send it out. Yeah. So I end up with a lot of that, and then I donate that to Northern artists, uh, First Nations, mm-hmm. Indigenous, not-for-profits, women's shelters, like mm-hmm. all those kinds of in-between places that I know mm-hmm. they're not getting enough cash for cool things. Mm-hmm. So I, I really enjoy that. That kind of gives me the feeling that I'm supporting a community. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, it is. It's fun. You feel like a Santa Claus of art supplies. <laughs> <laughs> but you have a little pink cart instead. <laughs> yeah, I have a little pink cart. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's like, that's such a neat part, a neat um, aspect of like the types of communities that we as craftspeople can be involved in because it's like, in order for this to work out, it can't really be and I mean that in like a very general sense, it can't really be just like everyone doing their own thing for themselves. It's like, we depend on each other and like, you know, you have your business, you have your things you need to do to make bills, uh, to pay bills. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like you also are like, well, I also have these other resources that I'm making available for everybody. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's Mm -hmm. like a really wonderful example of like, what things could look like more if we all thought more that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Resource sharing for sure. Yeah. So who, who's someone inside of uh, pigment making that you admire and someone outside of, of that circle that you also admire? Definitely inside the craft. I really admire Jason Logan. I mm-hmm. think a lot of people know his work from the, the book that he wrote and all the interesting things that he does. I, I really love how um, there is a very strong kind of uh, tradition in paint making, and I really admire how he just goes against that grain and has made his own, made his own way and how he's had a really great uh, reaction and response. So I, I admire him. And also um, Lutea, I think they're a Belgian... Belgian paint maker and I think they're just getting started too I don't think they've been around for a very very long time but my understanding is that they create lake pigments from uh, botanicals so I think they make watercolor from goldenrod and 
Oh wow. Cosmos flowers. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. So I, I find there's their paint really, really inspiring. Um and two two yeah. quick things. Uh mm-hmm. in case some listeners don't know, um the book that Anung is referring to by uh Jason yeah. Logan is called Make Ink. And then he his business is called the Toronto Ink Company, isn't it? I think. Yep. Yep, the Toronto Ink Company. He has a really fa- fascinating um, Instagram page, and the the book is really great. And I think that um, a lot of people ask about making their own paint and getting started with it. And making ink is really that is that is paint making, and that's a really great book to show you how to get started with it and how to get started with it in a safe, non toxic way. Because the, mm-hmm. you know that grapes are grapes. And, uh, that's that's a, a really fun way to get started with with paint making and to understand what a binder is and different ways to go about uh, gathering color well and what uh i mean i think we've thrown you know there are a lot of i i know that there are probably nuanced definitions of these things but in like a general sense what would be like a basic definition of paint versus uh ink well, you know, I think it's just the the viscosity. It comes. It's a viscosity thing that um, okay. you can make uh, ink, ink and paint. Paint can have many different uh, vehicles, mm-hmm. and ink too. But ink is uh, more fluid, and paint is more buttery. I suppose. Ah, that's nice. Yeah. Different different Buttery. states of being. It, it's funny though too with like watercolor. Watercolor is almost like solidified concentrated ink. Hmm. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that's very yeah. Helpful. Thank so you. I I could I I've I make and sell ink occasionally, and it's really fun and easier for me because ink is somewhere. Ink is like a town I pass on the way to driving to paint. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So fun to make. <laughs> I take that back. That's the quote of the day now. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> is there anyone outside of your craft that um, has been influential or that you admire? I know for Curtis, <laughs> Curtis is, it was his dad. We just interviewed a chairmaker um, a while ago and he mm-hmm. was kind of chewing on that question for a while and he came up with his dad and I thought that was cute. <laughs> yeah, I, actually, I, I was thinking about this the other day in a funny way that um, uh, as far as the, the shape that my life has right now, I remember watching uh, some of those cake baking shows that uh, were popular or they're still popular on TV, like Ace of Cakes. And I remember seeing that guy in Ace of Cakes. And this was at an earlier point in my life before paint making, before everything. And I remember seeing that guy and thinking every day he wakes up and he gets to go to his kitchen and he's there working with all of his friends, making these wonderful things that people they're obviously having fun making them, and then people really love receiving them. And I oh, remember yeah. thinking, 
Wow. I, what a great life that guy had. <laughs> I would love to do something like that. And when I look at where I am now, I definitely have a, like an Ace of Cakes kind of paint thing going on here. <laughs> I, I, yeah. yeah, it's so fantastic. I, I have a shop I go to every day. I work with my friends. I, I get to invent different things. Like it's not the same day every day. I don't make the same thing all, all the time. Mm-hmm. I can decide, oh, I'm going to try this, or I'm going to do that. And I get to be really responsive to people that I enjoy working with and meet new people and have collaborations. And it's really fun, super fun, most fun I've ever had. That's awesome. Yeah, it's so good to hear. It's so good to hear that. Is Beam Paints just you right now? Or do you have any employees? Or No, um, Beam Paints is uh, me and then my, my best friend, Meg. And Meg is like organizes uh, all of Beam Paints. Mm-hmm. And we're the two main full-time people. And then we have uh, 11 people in the community who all subcontribute. Yeah, and they all do different aspects of all things paint. Wow. Which has been really rewarding itself to be be able to bring, like, financial stability to to Mm. 11 different households. And are the people who work for us are some of them uh, are are disabled some people are young mothers other people are older and retired like there's a real there's a real swath of i think you know when i when i was in in trouble or had troubled times in my life it was really hard to find a, a job or some place where I could work that would understand that I had young kids and, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of flexibility and employment. It's been Mm -hmm. really great to be able to offer that kind of work to people Mm -hmm. and to things where people can do things on their own time and make some extra money doing something they enjoy. That's so it's, and it's like another layer of community because you're talking about, you know, the pigment community is kind of online and that kind of stuff, but you're also, and that's been really helpful and influential and like a a nice Mm -hmm. part of your experience, but then you're also gathering um, people in your like actual physical community as well. And I think that's really like, that's really good. Yeah. It's been really funny too, because they've been, they've been watching like from the pink wagon, right? (laughs) and people were like because I was doing this in a small garage uh, next to in a huge lumber operation Mm -hmm. and there were always people kind of coming by and they'd be asking oh what are you doing or what's Anung doing oh she's making paint and (laughs) it was kind of like you know just a little funny and now to just the this size we're 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 really quite large now and uh, Mm -hmm. we make a a lot of paint and um you can get our paint in 
17 stores in Canada and what? 14 stores in the U.S. Yeah. Whoa. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. Dang. Yeah. And That's so great. We're also just about to be available in a national chain, uh, Chapters Indigo. Wow. Sell our paint. That's yeah, 19 yeah. stories. Sorry, excuse me, everybody. We are talking with global paint tycoon, Anung Bean. Oh. <laughs> 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 <I'm just kidding. laughs> it's funny, though, because it, it really has grown into, uh, we've had so many business decisions to make as far as when you grow to this to this level and also what are our goals like how far do we want to grow grow uh, this company and um i'm i'm really comfortable we've i think we found a way to keep our handmade the quality of making things by hand and then to meet a more global kind of appetite for that it just mm-hmm. takes more hands Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. been able to employ more people, and uh, yeah. it's been a really good thing up here for yeah. us. Yeah. Wow. Hey, that's so nice to hear. <laughs> it is. So, so you're not going to incorporate robots in your paint making factory to cut costs? <laughs> no, no, we won't be outsourcing. Or it was interesting actually because when this uh, chapter. Indigo asked us to have paints in their stores. They have really, uh, they're almost like Amazon, you know, like they have a Mm. really regimented, heavily defined way of dealing with products in warehouses. Mm. And Mm -hmm. they, everybody they deal with puts their products in poly bags. Mm -hmm. And that Mm. was something they, they asked us to do. And we said, no, we're, we are actually plastic-free, and we, we won't do that. So we won't. if you won't take our product this way, we won't be working with you. Right and on. To their, yeah, to their credit, they actually said okay, and they, wow. they let it through with our – yeah, but that was pretty amazing, you know. Like, yeah. I don't uh, – it was a kind of a defining moment for us to decide – you know, you, you wonder how you'll react in those in those instances when somebody mm-hmm. says, well, you have to do this. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really great to know that, that companies are starting to, even really big ones, are starting to uh, allow more creativity and flexibility in, in achieving plastic-free production. Wow, yeah. that's really great. Cool. It's just, that's so inspiring too, you know, it's just like, just having something, having a principle and knowing that it's the way it should be. And just instead of, instead of just acquiescing to the way it is saying, no, actually this is something I I very, it's close to my heart Mm -hmm. and I really believe in it. And this is where the line is drawn. I think that is just so commendable. Um, Thank so, you. Yeah, it, well, they, it, felt, it felt really great. It, and yeah. it was so, it's so good. I think when you grow from such a tiny, such a, t- you know, I, I was okay making paint for a very, very small amount of people. And mm-hmm. that was really, really fun. And, and where I live is not an expensive place to live anyway. So we mm-hmm. were just fine. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to know that, that we can continue to kind of deliver those 
those qualities on a larger scale without mm-hmm. without uh, having to sacrifice anything. You know, mm-hmm. we get to have all the cake. We're having all the cake. <laughs> no apology. Yes. I see cake plays a significant role in your business. <laughs> yeah. I oh, that, that's. <laughs> I, I said to my uh, my friend Meg, you know, we're so easily we could so easily start making chocolate now because so much <laughs> of the the machinery and the setup is almost all identical. And I think the, the, there's a mill that I use to grind up a, a certain kind of stone, mm-hmm. and that mill is only used for three three purposes. I think. It's a, it is a paint mill for paint making, but people also use it in chocolate making, a triple mill. And wow. I think it's, uh, yeah. So it, it's <laughs> a lot of the mixers, uh, some of the baking trays and the drying racks that we have also come yeah. from like uh, kitchens. So it wow. looks very bakery-esque. <laughs> well, maybe maybe if you did start making chocolate, that would be a way to accomplish some of those elusive browns you were talking about earlier. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. She'd have to <laughs> change the the logo, though. Like, she'd Edible say, you can eat it. You can eat it now. <laughs> yeah, now you can eat this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if someone wants to see more of your work, uh, where can they find you? Okay, you can go to uh, beampaints.com or Instagram at beampaints. Fantastic. Great. Cool. Thank you so, so much for joining us, Anang. It was an absolute pleasure talking with you. Yeah, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much. I definitely had a, a ton of fun. So next up, we have an interview with metalsmith Seth Gould. And to get fired up for our conversation, here's a brief clip from that interview. I always, every once in a while, I, I kind of like think about what, and this isn't like a tooting my own horn. It's just that, oh, I've been doing this for so many years that these things come naturally and I don't have to think about them. And that feels really good. Yeah. And it's nice yeah, that yeah. when that comes, whether it be through design or process, it's just like, at some point you are going to know what mark looks good when you use that graver, you know, mm-hmm. you'll, mm-hmm. you'll screw it up enough times that you'll remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I haven't hit that limit yet. Let's do the credits. (laughs) A special thanks to uh, Lisa for recommending Anung. As we've mentioned before, we love it when people send us recommendations for people who they want to hear. So Mm -hmm. it was, I mean, this was a a great example of what that can be. It was so much fun talking with Anung. Don't you think? Yeah, it was great. It was really great. I loved it. (laughs) We have t-shirts. They will be out this week, actually. And so we were thinking also... We're going to ask folks to take selfies and then tag us on on uh, Instagram, and then we can put them up in our little stories, and that would be fun. And it could be like a crafty selfie or yeah. even just a selfie of you doing extreme sports. <laughs> right. And the other thing is that we're going to do another pre-order of t-shirts. So we left the ability to purchase them up online, but it's probably going to be, you know, until we get another order of like 25 or something like that so if you or if you see it and you're excited about the selfies and the crafting and parkour <laughs> and want to buy a t-shirt then just keep in mind that it'll probably be a little bit of a wait until we get it all filled up 
So if you like the podcast, please like and subscribe to us on all of your favorite podcast platforms because it helps with the show's visibility. If you subscribe to the podcast, it will automatically show up and you won't have to wait for it to upload or I don't really know how that works. Brian, you're the you're the like, <laughs> technical person, but I know, all I know is that it magically shows up. <laughs> also, I would like to say and Brian would also like to say thanks for your support on Patreon. So the Patreon is extremely helpful and if we get more support, if you guys keep showing us some love on Patreon, then we can dedicate more time to different side projects and more interviews and you know everything that goes along with the, the hosting bills and all that kind of stuff so and more uh, scholarship money yeah and more scholarship money so we're thankful for that and we encourage anyone who's been thinking about it to go ahead and take the plunge yeah and in particular thank you Joe so much for joining our squad of patrons mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if that's what you call a group of patrons like a murder <laughs> of crows or a flock of geese or something a squad of patrons, a posse of patrons. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, thank you, Joe. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Joe. So you can find us and follow us on Instagram at Cut the Craft Podcast at Amy underscore Umble and at BH Bidler. And if you have any interview requests or ideas, or we just had a someone who wanted to collaborate on a side project with us, and we said, you know, that's a great idea. Let's do that. So go ahead and send us an email at cutthecraftpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And also, uh, as always, thank you so much to Brad Vetter for your help with the graphic design, uh, for the High Divers for letting us use your music, to Justin Williams, our resident poet, for writing those um, commercial tidbits for the next guest. And to Luke Mitchell, uh, the lead singer of the High Divers, for helping us with some of the technical side of things. So thank you all so much, and we hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Yeah, see you next time. Bye.